I think often that we expect to grow weary in wrongdoing. You know, if we get out and live in sin, we know that it's no good for us. We know if we do the wrong thing uh, in the wrong way and with the wrong motives, we expect that at some point God's going to chastise us and uh, we're going to get discouraged and, and uh, feel like giving up. But let me say that there's times that there's a danger in growing weary and well-doing. Uh, you don't have to be doing wrong to get discouraged. You don't have to be doing wrong to get discouraged. Elijah had come off of the greatest victory in his ministry when he went and sat down under a juniper tree and prayed and said, Lord, just take me home. I'm no better than anyone else. So I think sometimes we anticipate, well, if I get out of the will of God and I do wrong, I know I'm going to get discouraged and want to give up. And When we've lived in sin, we, we feel like, well, I know why this is happening and I expect and anticipate this. But oftentimes we are blindsided when in the middle of God's will in the middle of a growing relationship with Christ, in the middle of a life of service to Him, we find ourselves in dark times. And I believe the Apostle Paul gives us some reasons that maybe we grow weary and some remedies as to how we deal with those. Galatians chapter 6, let's begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the Word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank You for this joy and privilege to gather in Your house. Lord, You've helped us already. You've encouraged us, Lord, through the fellowship and uh, through the communion and through the sweet spirit that we felt as we entered this place. Father, we ask that over these next few moments a work of encouragement might be done. Lord, we know that You're able, uh, that this Bible that we hold in our hands, it's sharp as a two-edged sword, sharper than any two-edged sword. We, Lord, we know that it cuts coming and going, and You can use this passage to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. We know, Father, that You have the ability to encourage some and abase others. Lord, we wouldn't be so bold as to believe that we could work out the needs of those in this room. But we just humbly ask that through the Spirit of God, Your will would be accomplished and glory might be given to Your name. Lord, we love You tonight. And we ask every bit of this in that precious name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now again, notice with me in verse 9, Paul says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As you read this portion of the book of Galatians, I think often we associate it as a series of unrelated maxims, maybe some uh, practical advice as Paul did often give at the end of his epistles. And you can see when he writes to the church at Thessalonica, he goes through and he talks about, you know, uh, rejoice in all things and pray without ceasing, and gives a list of things that are good for the believer. And I think oftentimes when we read this passage, it is very easy to interpret it as just that. 
that, just a series of unrelated advice and, and little maxims and proverbs and truths that might help us. But I believe as we read this carefully and as we apply an understanding of who Paul is writing to, we'll have a good, clear concept of what Paul was trying to get across. Uh, when you read about the church at Galatia, you're reading about a group of worn out and weary people. Paul described their actions in the church. He said that you bite and devour one another. Beware lest you be consumed one of another. He had written to them, he had written to a group of people that had been uh, trying to do uh, through the arm of the flesh what only can be accomplished through the work of the Spirit. No doubt this was a group of people that were exhausted, that were tired, that were battle-scarred and war-lorn by the things that they had been doing and by the way that they had been living. And so it should be no surprise to us that as he comes to the close of this epistle, he gives them an exhortation to good works. Now you say, why is that not a surprise? Well, consider what the book of Galatians is about. He's just got through spending five chapters showing them how that salvation is by faith and faith alone, apart from circumcision, apart from any promises or commitments we might make in and of ourselves, and that the Christian life is lived not through the energy of the flesh, but through the effectual dependence upon the Spirit of God. And I believe what Paul is trying to say here is, I'm not encouraging you to a loose lifestyle, but I'm rather showing you the pathway to uh, the practical sanctification that God has called you to. What I'm trying to do is to show you how to live right and how to get the strength and help that you need. And so no doubt it was needful that He exhort them to continue doing the right thing, but to do it in the right strength. And He tells them to not grow weary or to not be weary in well-doing. And I think if we understand this chapter as a larger exposition, a larger uh, exhortation, I believe we'll get some understanding of what he's talking about. He lists a few things that I think oftentimes cause us to grow weary. Now, I'm not talking about the folks that are out at the bars on Saturday night. I'm talking about people that grow weary in well-doing. I'm not talking about the people that, that they've given up on God and God's house and they've got no interest in the things that God... I'm talking about people that grow weary in well-doing. I'm not talking about people that, that have no interest in reading the Word of God or getting help from I'm talking about people that grow weary in well-doing. And so I think for a Wednesday night crowd, we might see some of these things in our life if we'll look closely. I want you to notice verse number 1. He says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted." Let me say, number one, one of the things that makes us grow weary in well-doing is overtaken brethren that are in our lives. The man that is described in verse number one, no doubt, had committed sin, but he has acknowledged that sin. He has confessed and forsaken that sin. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Because God's very serious about church purity. God's very serious about church discipline. Uh, if there's any neglected doctrine in the New Testament church, it's that of church discipline. I believe that if this man had been living in unrepentant sin, God wouldn't have called it a fault. But what he's saying is this man has acknowledged that this sin has been present in his life. He's asked God's forgiveness. He has repented of it. Maybe it was a sin that had been repetitive in his life, and that could be part of the reason that he calls it a fault. But this is a weakness. This is a flaw on this man's part. He's ready to be restored. He wants to be. Let me say this. You can't restore something that don't want to be restored. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're talking about a little bit about Gatlinburg before we got started tonight. And if you've ever been up there in Rod Run, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, 
People come from all over the country, go up there to Rod Run, and they ask me, they say, what do you think? I say, I don't know. I stay away from it far as I can. I, I, I mean, I listen, I go to West Knoxville on the days that Rod Run, just because I don't want to be even close to it. It's just it's so packed and crazy. But you do go up there, you'll see some beautiful cars. People have labored. They have spent untold thousands, tens of thousands of dollars making these things a work of art. But you can't restore a car that won't stop long enough to be restored. For you to restore something, for you to fix something, for you to set something right, has to be willing to. I believe this man was willing to be set right. So what we have here in front of us is the picture of a man that has sinned, he has done wrong, but he has acknowledged that, he has forsaken that, he longs to be back in the assembly. And Paul says, with that man, what you do is you restore that man. We were talking a little bit about it on, uh, I think it was Monday night or Sunday, I don't know, we, we're here every day, so I, it's, it runs together sometimes, but... You know, we were talking about Baptists being the only ones that shoot their wounded. Let me tell you something. We better be careful about that. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Every one of us messes up from time to time. But if we understand this in the light of being weary and well-doing, I would say this, that it is a taxing thing to watch people fail. It's sad, but we're all guilty of it. We vest too much confidence in people that are nothing but flesh and bone. You ever been disappointed by somebody? Sure you have. You ever had somebody that you thought, it'll never be them? Lo and behold, who was it but them? Sometimes that causes us to grow weary. Sometimes we get discouraged when we look at people that we expected so much out of and got so little return out of. And oftentimes that can breed itself into anger and into vengeance and into malice. And Paul says, listen, when people make mistakes like that, you need to understand this. Listen carefully. Their failures are not your failures. Let me say that again. Their failures are not your failures. And their mistakes don't have to be your mistakes. We all make mistakes. If you're like me, you'll make a fair share of them. But understand that those people, and that's part of the reason. It's just the way this wicked world works, and it's just the way the media works. Uh, but, I, I mean, let me tell you something. There, there was a big scandal back a few years ago where a big fundamental leader was uh, caught in a, in a scandal. Imagine that, you know, preacher in a scandal. That's never happened before. Let's put that on the 6 o'clock news. But uh, people, people run around like chicken with their heads cut. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Let me tell you something. Let me show you some of these brethren that I know working two jobs, working 90 hours a week with no praise and the congregation struggling, but they love God and they love their people and they're working and laboring. They're not going to put that on the 6 o'clock news. They don't sell papers, you understand. But let somebody mess up and the devil will make sure and blow a trumpet about it. And oftentimes it gets discouraging, but we have to understand that, listen, people's faults and flaws and mistakes and failures are just that. They're theirs. We don't have to go that same pathway. You may have people that have let you down. Listen, you're looking at a preacher right now, depending on what level of scrutiny and what level of, uh, of, of expectation you hold me to, you better believe you're looking at somebody that's going to let you down. You better believe you're looking at somebody that's going to make mistakes, somebody that's flesh and bone is going to do things wrong. And if all of your confidence is vested in me, it won't be very long. So, preacher, what do we do? How do we keep from that happening when we put people up on a pedestal? Well, there's only one person that deserves to be lifted up high and holy. Let me tell you something. You put your confidence in Jesus because He never fails. He never fails. You say, what do I do when somebody has let me down? Well, just remember they're human. And just remember, that could be you. It could be you. It doesn't have to be you. But it could be you. 
and look at them and treat them with grace. I think because of overtaken brethren, sometimes we grow weary. I think, look at number two, I think because of other people's burdens, sometimes we grow weary. It says, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, that's a command of Scripture. Unless we wonder whether it is or not, I believe God even uses as strong a language as to call it the law of Christ. Now, you want to talk about two words that seem to be polar opposites, but we find them here in the verse together. That's law and Christ. But God is trying to convey to us this, that God didn't save us to a life of lawlessness, but rather there's a new and royal and better law that we're called to. And what is that law? Do you remember what they asked the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, the scribes came to him. They said, all right, Lord, sum it all up. Sum it all up for us. Tell us what the greatest of these commandments is. And Christ said, well, I'll do that. I'll tell you the, the first one and the second one. He said, the first one is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. He said, the second is like unto it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. He said, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. I believe that as Paul is talking about the law, and he's talked a lot about the law in Galatians, I believe he's boiling down our responsibility to one another in this pure and simple truth. We're to bear one another's burdens. Now, you say, wait a minute, preacher. Are you telling me we don't need to do that? Are you telling me we need to lay up our flesh on lavender and cushion and make sure that we never get burdened down with other people's burdens? No. What I'm saying is this. There's two truths I want you to grasp about this point. One is this. You can't carry anybody else's burdens if you're still carrying your burdens. Oh, help me a little bit with that now. I, I know. I mean, I know. I, unless we had the Acts two moment and I just spoke and you heard it in a different language, I, I, I think we can get do a little better than that. You can't bear everybody else's burdens while you're still bearing your burdens. You say, what do I do? You have to lay those burdens down. You have to look to the Lord to be your strength, to be your buckler, your shield, and, and to be your high tower. You have to go to Him and yield all that. You say, how do I do that, preacher? Well, you trust Him with those. You trust Him with those. Let me tell you something. There's not a lot that we can control in this world, but we can control what we worry about. We can control what dominates our mind and our affections and, and our hearts. We can control what we're going to stay up awake in the middle of the night over. We can determine that we're going to give those burdens over to the Lord. But let me say this. What does it mean to bear somebody's burdens? Well, now, when we have the idea of bearing a burden, of course, it deals with the idea of a, of a beast of burden, an animal that would be used. And I, I, I'm not a farm boy. I'll go ahead and admit to you. I mean, I grew up in, in more country than a lot of people did, but I, we didn't have a farm or anything. Dad's good just to keep us mowing the yard, you know. And, but I do understand this, that you don't laden a beast down and, and have him walk in circles. Right? You don't load him down just so he can walk in circles. No, when you're laying the beast down, you know what you're trying to do? You're trying to get something from point A to point B. That beast is just the means of doing that. So what do you do? You come over here where the burden is, and you lay that burden on that beast, and then you drive him or ride him or push him, or, or if he's a mule, drag him, and, and get him to the place that you need those burdens to be. And then what do you do? You unload those burdens. Let me tell you something. Nosiness. Oh, my Got cold when I said that. Nosiness is not bearing someone's burden. <laughs> not worrying about your burdens just so you can worry and fret and not trust God with someone else's burdens is not bearing someone else's burdens. 
Let me tell you something. We talk a lot about people having a burden, having a burden, having a burden. And, and, and I understand that. But let me tell you something. God doesn't give us anything that keeps us from His throne room and keeps us from serving Him. Just worrying is not the same thing as being burdened. Complaining is not the same thing as being burdened. Let me, let me tell you, if complaining was the same thing as being burdened, some of us would be sitting under a mountain load. It's not the same thing. What is being burdened? Well, you're carrying that weight from one place to another. You say, preacher, get down to it. What are you talking about? You take and you carry your own burdens in the throne room of grace and you leave them down for the Lord. Then you go find somebody else's burdens and you say, let me help you take that to the throne room of grace. Go ahead and load me down. Lay it on me so that I can take and carry this to the throne room of God and leave it before His almighty feet. That's what it means to bear other people's burdens. But oftentimes, what do we do? We act like that mule that just walk around in circles when it's laden down. We get a burden, and what do we do? We run around complaining and griping and miserable and whining about it and worrying about it, and we let it suck all the life out of us. We say, preacher, what's wrong with that? We're well-doing, yeah, but you're going to get weary in well-doing. You're going to get weary. You take and carry those things to the throne room of grace. I think, I think others' burdens, oftentimes, if we don't bear them scripturally, can make us grow weary in well-doing. Look at verse number 3. I think not only overtaken brethren and others' burdens, but it says this, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. I think because of overestimated belief, a lot of times we get weary in well-doing. Let me tell you something. You can't solve the world's problems. You can't. I don't care how big you are. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. You see, you know what the problem is? And Paul's sort of saying this tongue-in-cheek. You understand that, right? He says, for if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing. We might say it this way. You all that think you're something, I know this is going to sound ugly, you're nothing. And those of us that think we're something, we're really nothing. And if we think we're something, we're just deceiving ourselves. Ain't none of us. Listen, the journey's too great for all of us. I don't care who you are. You cannot do it on your own. Listen to me carefully. You cannot do it without people praying for you. You cannot do it without the fellowship of God's children. You cannot do it without the local church that God's blessed us with. You cannot do it without staying in this Bible. You cannot do it without yourself in the prayer closet. And if we think we can, we've deceived ourselves. Because we think we're something. When the truth of the matter is, He's something. In fact, He's everything. For us to think we can do it without Him is for us to think we're something when we're nothing. He's everything. We'll just acknowledge that. Some people say this, well, it'd never be me. Well, why? Are you not made of the same thing I'm made of? Are you not made of the same thing that those other people are made of? Every single one of us, we're sin-fallen man. We're flesh and bone. And it's foolish pride to believe it couldn't be us. Because it could be us. It could be you. I said it a moment ago. It don't have to be. But you better believe it could be. And so we don't need to think more of ourselves than what we are. I tell you, some of us are running into the ground because we're running around trying to, be, trying to get everybody to think we're real super Christians. That we never have a burden, that we never get discouraged, that we never shed any tears, that we never feel like giving up. And we're running around trying to wear this mask all the time. And, and all the while, we're cracking underneath. We're deceiving ourselves. It's foolishness. Go ahead and just acknowledge. Hey, listen, I, I, w- I would rather... Listen carefully. 
I would rather burn out, mess up, and fall flat on my face being myself than run the race and play the game and pretend to be something that I'm not. You know, that's just the truth of it. You are who you are, and I am who I am. You have flaws, and I have flaws. Hopefully they ain't the same ones, but I guess if they are, somebody else is going to have to come along and prop us up. The truth of the matter is we all make mistakes. We all mess up, and every one of us, we're just nothing but weak, ineffectual, puny nothing. That's what we are. I think the overestimated belief can cause it. Look at verse number 4. It says this, But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Now you say, preacher, what, what do you think that's talking about? Well, I, I'll tell you what I believe it's talking about. I think when it says, but let every man prove his own work, then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, not in another. What he's saying is this, well, go ahead and do it all on your own. And when you can do that successfully, then you can rejoice in yourself and not have to rejoice in another. Go ahead and do it all by yourself. Get everything fixed. Live a perfect life. Go ahead and be Superman. Let me know how that works out. And when that, when that goes well for you, then you won't need anybody's help. I think there's a tinge of sarcasm in what Paul's saying. I think what he's saying is this. We all need help. We all need a support system. We all need the prayers of God's people. And until you can survive without it, you might as well just grow comfortable with the fact that you're going to need help. I heard a preacher say one time that, that an old preacher had told him this. He was starting out in ministry, and uh, he, he had a ministry, and they had a financial need. And, and he said, well, I just, you know, I just don't like to tell people. And that old preacher said, well, you better get over it. Because <laughs> there's going to be times you're going to have to tell people. There's going to be times you're going to have to share those burdens. We better just go ahead and get rid of the pride and acknowledge that. It says in verse number 5, it says, For every man shall bear his own burden. I think because of overtaken brethren and others' burdens and overestimated belief, I think sometimes just because of our own battles that we're going through, we can grow weary in well-doing. I think there's a tendency when we're going through something to keep it secret. Now, I understand, and I'm not advocating that every single thing you've ever said about somebody in this room, you need to get up in front of church and confess it, all right? I'm not advocating that every single thing, every thought that you've had, everything that you've done wrong, that you need to get up and confess every bit of that. But what I am saying is this, you know, sometimes when we're struggling, we have a tendency to want to do it all on our own and fight that own. Paul says this, every man shall bear his own burden. His own burden. In other words, this is what he's saying. He's saying everybody's going through something. I don't care who you are. Every one of us is going through something. Sometimes it's worse, sometimes it's better. But every one of us is facing something. And if we're not careful, you know what we'll do? We'll scoop all those things together and we'll draw the shade in around our problems and we'll suffocate there because we're too prideful to go and ask somebody to pray for us. We're too prideful to go to somebody and say, can I just cry on your shoulder for a minute or two? We're too prideful to go to someone and say, hey, can you just can you help me accountable? Let me tell you something. If ever there was something missing uh, in the New Testament church, if church discipline is number one, let me say number two is accountability. Accountability in the life of the believers. Oh, I know. I mean, churches, they're, they're ready to have a thousand business meetings and know where every penny goes, and that's a good thing. I'm not opposed to that. But half the time, we don't know where everybody is. We might know where every penny is, but we don't have a clue where everybody is. We need accountability. Every single one of us. You see, when Christ sent them out, He sent them out two by two for a reason. For a reason. Why? That way, if one of them fell in the ditch, the other one could help them out. 
Every one of us, we need accountability in our lives. We need somebody that can come along and say, Hey, you wanted me to pray for this. How are you doing with it? I've been praying for you. Hey, you said you're struggling with this, and you wanted me to help you pray about this. I, I, I want to know how you're doing. You wanted me to ask how you were doing. Are you staying faithful to the Lord and faithful to your commitment? I've been praying for you. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to help you up. And if you fell in the ditch, that's all right. I'll help you up out of the ditch, and we'll go on for God. Because every man bears his own burden. Every single one of us is going through something. And so what do we need to do? We need to bear those burdens of one another. Let me give you one final one, and I'm, I'm finished tonight. Look at verses 7 and 8. It says this, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now, that seems strange to me. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, you ever read a Bible verse, and at first it don't seem like it fits? It ain't that it's wrong. It ain't that you're questioning it or anything. But you just you read it and think, that's strange. What an odd thing to be there. I mean, I could see if Paul was rebuking sin in the church, him saying, God is not mocked, whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. I could see if Paul was maybe talking about the wickedness of this world and the soon coming of the day of the Lord and God exacting vengeance on this wicked world system, him saying, hey, be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. But why in the midst of this strain of encouragement that God's delivering to us, would He say that? Well, He tells us in verse 8, He says, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I think that a fifth reason, and I'm done, is because of obstructive behavior that sometimes we have. You know, oftentimes, I don't want to sound too much like a TV preacher. I don't have the hair or the smile to match. But let me say that oftentimes the blessings of God are available there to us. And the help and the strength that God seeks to give us is there. But we keep ourselves from being able to enjoy that. You know what I think he's saying? I think he's saying this. You better feed yourself on spiritual things if you want spiritual strength. See, he lists this scriptural principle, and you'll find it all the way through the Word of God. You'll find this scriptural principle, that that whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You can find it all the way back in the book of Genesis. The Bible says that the animals, uh, that, that when they had animals, they were after their kind. That's the idea of sowing and reaping. That whatever you put into the ground is what you pull out of the ground. All through Scripture, this principle is there. And Paul applies it to the laborsome and wearisome task that oftentimes well-doing is. He's saying this, you need some strength for this. Well, where are you going to get that strength? You're not going to get it by sowing to your flesh. If you sow to your flesh, you're going to have your flesh reap corruption. You get it by sowing to your spirit. You say, how do I do that, preacher? Well, let me say that what you hold in your hands is a good start. Spend time in this book. Man, I mean, let me tell you something. We'll, We'll go two, three weeks without eating any bread and then wonder why we feel weak. If we're not eating, if we're not sustaining ourselves, it's no wonder that we don't get the strength that we need. We go out and we watch the wickedness of this world. Let me tell you something. I'm more and more convinced this every day, and God has been dealing with me about this. Let me tell you something. That the news, and I'm not against the news, I'm not against you being informed, but let me tell you something. I'm convinced that the news can be as destructive to the spirit of a Christian as pornography can be. What do we do, man? We turn on that news and we watch the sky fall. 
We get the idea that God isn't on His throne anymore. I'm not saying get, I'm not saying quit your newspaper subscription. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm, not, I'm just saying there is a measure to all those things. And oftentimes, if that's all we feed ourselves on, if that's all we spend time consuming, man, we're going to say discouraged. You say, preacher, should I quit reading it? No, go ahead and read the news. But before you read the news, read the good news. You know, I'm not saying it's wrong. Stay informed. I, I'm, 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 I know what's going on right now in, in Sweden and in Missouri and all that. And we could talk about it, and I, and I don't, don't feel like i got anything to confess for knowing about that. But I'm saying we better be careful, or we'll spend all of our time feeding our flesh, and we'll find ourselves spiritually anemic. In this labor, in this life that we are endeavoring upon, we better make sure that we're feeding ourselves spiritually in what we need. Because if we don't, we're going to grow weak and anemic in the service of the Lord.